Hi, this is Locally Entertaining, and I'm your host, Joanne Bailey Borsma. And today I'm very excited to have some members of the Grand Rapids Public Museum with us here today. We have Kate Kaczynski, uh, Vice President of Marketing and PR, Dr. Stephanie Ogren, um, Vice President of Science, Science and Education. Education. Thank you. <laughs> and of course, Dr. Corey Redman, who is the Science. Curator. Yes. yes. So very excited to have all three of you here today to talk a little bit about the Grand Rapids Public Museum. You know, I think a lot of people, when they come, they just think they see the museum, but they don't really realize all that the museum does and all the programs and activities and education components. And I, I, I'm sure we could be here for hours and hours and hours <laughs> talking about every little thing. But, you know, um, Stephanie... We were just there with you talking mm -hmm. about the watershed education, and that was just incredible. Could you kind of expound a little bit more about the educational programs available? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're really excited. Um, we have a Saturday science program where we do watershed education. In October, we're going to be doing creepy chemistry. So we really rotate go and go through all sorts of different science programming. Um, that programming specifically is for families and visitors of all ages to come and partake in. Um, at the museum, we have hands-on things um, for people to do. Um, on the more sort of structured education programs, we have K-12 programming. Um, where school groups can come and book programs with us. So a lot of people remember when they went to the museum as a kid, right? And so we still do programs like that, that um, using sort of a 21st century teaching model. So we do a lot of inquiry-based, hands-on activities where kids are exploring the museum and making observations and really using kind of that scientific method to think about the world around them. So we do sort of those family programming and we have school programming um, and then you can never forget our planetarium. So we have planetarium programming that's open um, every day of the week. And we have school programming there as well as family programming. So there is a breadth of information you can find at the museum. Mm -hmm. Well, what, and you know, we talk a lot about, you know, learning through play. And it's kind of really how the museum is set up. I mean, you learn through play. Um, and I'm thinking of those chairs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and I know in front of the planetarium where you sit in the chair and you kind of roll. I mean, it was just, it's fun to watch people sit in there and learn a little bit about, they're, they're learning a little bit about science. I mean, can you guys talk a little bit about the importance of being able to play and learn at the same time? So, yeah, it's a big um, piece of the museum is that interactive learning component. So whether it's an exhibit that we're designing and we're pulling in, as some kind of interactive component for people to learn hands-on, whether it's to touch an artifact or engage in some way, or if it's an exhibit that we're bringing in from the outside, we're looking at those. Where are places where people can um, get hands-on with the learning or have some kind of an experience rather than just see something that might be a don't-touch item or something like that. So um, looking at all of those components as we plan what happens at the museum and then not just in the exhibits but in the programs as well. So what's a, what's a popular program? I mean, what's a popular education program that you guys... So, you, out of the thousands so that you bad. offer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's really interesting. Um, a lot of people lately have been asking us, you know, oh, how's the museum? Is it quieting down? Like, well, it's just different because in the summer, we have summer camps that are wildly popular, right? So we have a watershed summer camp, and kids come, and they go down to the river, they pull out aquatic insects, and they identify them. 
Um, but now that we're getting into the school year, we'll have 500 school kids show up um, at 9.30 on a Tuesday morning to do education programs. So the popularity, it sort of varies based on season and you know who's using the museum at that time. Um, and then we always tie stuff to our traveling exhibit. So when we get a new traveling exhibit in, we usually have a new program that will um, launch with that exhibit. So. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, and Corey, you, I think, have the funnest job. We were talking about this earlier. I'm sorry. I just think this is so cool. There is nothing like opening a box and going, hmm, what's inside? And, you know, you work in the archives, and yeah. you're doing a lot of work right now to kind of find out what all the museum has. Yeah, so uh, um, we have a, a relatively small science collection, but it the Grand Rapids Public Museum was originally founded as basically a scientific institution, so kind of a cabinet of curiosities. So even though we have a smaller collection, um, it's actually quite old, which is really neat. And it's a very wide diversity of stuff. So we have a big uh, collection of rocks and minerals, which we are currently working through. I have a volunteer that comes in, you know, Tuesday afternoons, and he's kind of working through all of our rocks and minerals. And then two of our staff members are photographing and cataloging them. So we're up to 1,800 minerals, and we haven't even really started opening boxes yet. So we probably have 50 to 60 boxes just to start unpacking. Um, I'm relatively, relatively new in my position, so when we moved into our collection facility, a lot of the material is still in boxes from when they moved in back in 2000, 2004. So that's one of the big things that we've really focused on, and that'll be an ongoing kind of years project because we just have so much material but we're finding a lot of really really nice specimens um the other thing we got going on in at least with respect to the science is i have another one of my volunteers who is a recent undergraduate from oberlin college rowan who comes in quite a bit now that she's graduated and uh, she's working on mason creek fossils these are plant invertebrate insect fossils from a very world-famous uh, fossil locality just kind of south of Chicago called Mason Creek. It's about 310 million years old. Um, so we're looking at Pennsylvanian. And the fossils themselves occur in these uh, siderite nodules, kind of think of like iron nodules. And you split them open, and a lot of times where they break will be a zone of weakness, and in that is a fossil. So you'll have an imprint of a leaf or an insect wing, or if you're lucky, it's like a clamshell or some kind of vertebrate material, potentially. And she's just finished kind of going through all of the stuff, all of our Mason Creek nodules in the collection, making sure they're properly identified, photographing and cataloging them. And then next weekend, I'm actually going out to collect some more. Um, I attended a conference in Chicago and uh, made a connection with uh, a private family that owns a lot of the Mason Creek um, property and so they're gonna let me come out and collect some some more nodules expand that collection for the museum so there's just those are just two things we got going on it's it's really fun we just started working with Grand Valley State University and some of their students in archaeology and they're gonna come in on Tuesdays or Thursdays and start working or start working through our archaeological material and helping us kind of identify and catalog that um, science curator i have a pretty broad background both in geology and biology but there's a lot of things i don't know and one of those is i'm i don't really know much about archaeology so it's the key is to kind of 
team up with other experts in the area, work with other people, uh, whether they're a volunteer, you know, a professor at a university or at another institution like another museum. So we're really excited to have the Grand Valley States come in. These are seniors, you know, that focus their degrees in archaeology or they're working on their degree in archaeology and they're going to come in and help us unpack some of our boxes and kind of work through our cabinets and identify, you know, the hundreds of arrowheads or spear points that we have. So yeah, there's a lot going on. It's pretty fun. So tell me, I mean, so in this case you're talking about those nodules and the, and the fossils. I mean, so here you, you find these and you've, you've cataloged them all. You're hoping to expand it, obviously, but you've got them all. So what what happens next? I mean, do you try to figure out something you can utilize them for? Or, I mean, what's the next level for those? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, a lot of people tend to think of collections as kind of static. Like once it's been cataloged and photographed, that's it. Um, and that's not really the case at all, either for the Grand Rapids Public Museum's collection or most institutions. I mean, we're not necessarily a research institution, but we are heavily focused on education. So we have a lot of students associated with the museum school and other that come through our collection and utilize their objects for the various projects that they have going on. So this comes back to kind of what you guys were talking about with respect to you know, the play hands-on material. Mm -hmm. um, the goal is, is for 75% of our collection to basically be cataloged what we call a tier three. So basically anybody can handle it and can utilize it. Um, the first step is, uh, you know, our entire collection database is accessible online to the general mm -hmm. public. So as long as you can access the internet, you can access our collection so you can see what we have. But the other thing is getting them into students in the general public so they can use it either for education or whatever. Yeah, actually putting the object in their hands. That's the big goal. So, you know, with like the Mason Creek fossils, they've all been cataloged, photographed, identified. So the students can now use that material because it's been properly ID'd. Um, so they can either, either they're doing, you know, a research project on fossil preservation or the evolution of insects or ferns or whatever, they have actual specimens they can refer to. Yeah, and I would add to that. So we've been doing, um, it's been really nice having Corey on staff and then really thinking about, you know, how do we take all of these opportunities and share them with the public? And mm -hmm. so um, having our collections online is a huge part of that. And so, as he was saying, two staff people are constantly photographing as they're going through all of these so they can be put online. Um, but then it's also working with local school districts. So we have a couple of pilot projects out that we're working on right now. They're sort of internally termed the vault projects. Um, but basically we think of the, um, the, the collections as a vault and students kind of explore the vault and find an object that they're interested in um, with the help of their teachers and everything. Um, but then thinking about how you can take that object and make it central to learning. So we can do loans to schools, students can come in and see those objects, but then that becomes the focus of their study. And one of the examples I use is one student might pick, you know, a piece of copper, but then in the end, a year later, as they're wrapping up this whole year-long unit on, you know, um, museum studies, they really 
are into electricity because somehow from copper they got to electricity, right? And so what are those connections we can make and how can those objects really help us make those connections? Whether they're science objects that Corey and I both really like um, or if they're, if they're other objects, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's lots of opportunities to really, you know, let the students dictate their own learning and, you know, dig in and explore where they want to go. That is incredible. Uh, that just sounds so incredible. I'm sorry, and Corey, you're trying to say something. No, no, I was just going to uh, agree, agree with Stephanie, but just to kind of expand <laughs> a little bit. And that's one of the neat things about the Grand Rapids Public Museum is because our collection is so broad. So we have science, mm-hmm. we have history, we have culture. And so you know, we're really interested in science, but you know, you can have somebody else, another student that's really interested in, in history or a certain aspect of history or culture or clothing or whatever. And... Um, we probably have a little something for everybody that they can mm-hmm. look at that they have an interest in. Yeah. But I mean, going back to your copper example, I mean, and because the, the first thing that hit my brain actually was history, because the first thing I thought of was, oh, copper. Michigan has a lot of copper. The reason Michigan has a lot of copper, Upper Peninsula. The reason we have the Upper Peninsula is because of the of the Toledo War, basically. I mean, and then the, that Toledo Strip ended up in Ohio, and the federal government gave us the Upper Peninsula. Um, so it's kind of like. It's all you about can, those connections. Yeah, right? those, so th- that little piece can go in six different directions depending on what that student is interested in. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And stuff. You know, one thing I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about, and, and this is going to be a surprise for Kate, uh, kind <laughs> no, of. No problem. But I mean, I've, I've, I've talked to your executive director, and we've talked about this before, but you guys actually, some of the work that you've done and the education you provided, you have really inspired students to go on and do some pretty amazing things. Um, that speaks pretty high of the museum itself. I mean, can you kind of expand a little bit about that? I mean, what are you hoping? Not every kid's going to go into science. I would say not every kid who takes a choral class is going to go into music, but it's important. And, and, and can you talk a little bit about that inspiration behind it and what leads to that? Well, absolutely. That's what really what we're all about. You know, our tagline is be curious. And learning starts with curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know who might be coming in for a school program or coming in with their parents or their friends and might be inspired to take a career, their career in a certain path or study something or even just get inspired to research something that then expounds upon itself. So that's what the museum's all about, providing opportunities for people to come in and have that, that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would add, we like you know, to think about what's the next best question. Right? Yeah. So don't come to the museum to find answers. Come to the museum to think about what's the next best question you can ask, mm-hmm. and then how can you find out more information and start forging your own path um, and really exploring that curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you, Stephanie Gray, what inspired you guys to follow the path that you're on today? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a really convoluted history that I'm However, um, I was just telling one of our board members literally two hours ago that people ask me all the time, like, why do you work at the museum? My background's in research science, right? So I was in a river collecting samples for 20 years before I decided to, you know, come back to Grand Rapids and work at the museum. And I said, because it's the best job in the world. I still get to go and do that research component. I get to go out in the river and collect samples, but I also get to help the public understand what scientists do. And I think that's something that's really been missing and that we don't do a good job of. As scientists, we're not good 
at communicating to the general public um, you know what we do and why it's important we might be great at writing articles that no one's going to read um, in a <laughs> journal <laughs> but we may not always you know have that connection with how do we get these ideas across to students and so um, working with educators that are really good at that and making sure that they know where the cutting-edge science is and how to translate that for the general public is really important. So that's why I really like working at the museum and really has inspired me to um, continue my career there. Mm -hmm. What about you, Corey? Um, I guess I just never grew out of wanting uh, I never grew up not liking to play in the dirt and to like, you know, play with dead things, to be honest. My, <laughs> my background is, is, answer. is, is paleontology. Uh, my mom is a wildlife biologist, so I spent a lot of time outside just collecting a wide assortment of biological specimens and just I never got out of it, I guess. Never grew out of it. Got a real job. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't feel like a real job. Yeah, no, it's, no, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's funny when you have a job that you really love or you really enjoy, it never really feels like a real job. You're just kind of doing it for and sure. stuff like that, and that's kind of a really great inspiration. So, but how did you end up at the at the museum, Corey? I mean, uh, how did they snag you? I, you know, the um, employment for museum scientists aren't like vast, so <laughs> you just kind of go where you can, um, mm. you know, and. I have a, a broad background, worked at a lot of different institutions, and I just I was lucky enough to secure this position. So, um, are you from Michigan? No, no, I'm I'm originally from Wisconsin, but I largely grew up in the Western U.S. So I I've moved around a lot. So I came here from Des Moines, Iowa, and then was in Canada before that, and Texas before that, and it just keeps going. There's a lot of people from Iowa that live in Grand Rapids. So I'm going to say I know quite a few. So you're not alone. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. So so tell us a little bit more. I mean, some of the um, one of your background too. I know Stephanie is sturgeon. So yeah, I got to bring that up a little sure. bit because you you know the museum is so lucky to be right next to the Grand River. It is. Um, and a great opportunity. And then you're also studying sturgeon, which is an endangered species. Right, so sturgeon are threatened in Michigan, and there's a lot of work being done in a lot of different river systems, um, coordinated through the state of Michigan, and as well as with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, the museum's right on the Grand River, and so for me, because I love sturgeon, it makes sense that the museum is involved in research that's happening and thinking about how um, do we find out more information. The Grand River doesn't have a lot of information um, on the sturgeon population in that, that specific river. Um, and so we've been partnering with um, other local institutions, other nonprofits, um, a tribal government, really looking at how do we find out more information so that we can um, have a good assessment of you know this lake sturgeon population. At one time, there were thousands of fish that would come up um, every spring uh, to spawn. And currently, the best estimate, which is really a guess, um, is maybe 100. Um, we just don't know. And so we don't know if there's recruitment. We don't know if they're surviving through their life cycle. Um, and so we've been putting together a team to, to really dig into that. Um, the museum has a large exhibit about um, lake sturgeon and kind of the culture, the history, and the science all put together. And we, we like the idea of that iconic fish um, being able to bring people together and ask more questions. 
Mm. So how do you take a subject like that to make it more hands-on and more realistic to people just coming to the museum to check it out? I mean, what do you do? So um, we do have, we have live surgeon at the museum, which is very different for the museum mm-hmm. to have live specimens, not yeah, dead sure. like Corey likes. <laughs> I like live stuff too, but. Um, but so what we do a lot of is um, like water quality testing and thinking about what factors affect those fish um, and different species and really tying that ecosystem together for students. And so we have hands-on labs where students are testing water, they're looking at the quality of the Grand River, um, they're thinking about land use, how we use our river, how the river's changed over time, um, and really we just tie that into then um, stewardship of these types of threatened species. And do you see people making that connection? I mean, just by, and I'm just talking about the person, not the not the student who's coming mm-hmm. to learn, but just the person who's just coming to the museum to explore. I think absolutely. It's been really interesting. I feed the sturgeon every day. Mm-hmm. And so often when I go feed them, um, someone will be in the, in the exhibit and I'll say, oh, I'm going to feed the sturgeon today. And they, they, A, maybe didn't know those were even sturgeon, and so, you know, I'll tell them a little bit about it. Because they look a little prehistoric. That, that was what one, yeah, one person said to me. Wow, they, those look a little weird. Yeah, Corey could probably tell you about that. Yeah. <laughs> they do definitely it's look prehistoric. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's really interesting. People will say, so these fish are in that river? And so just that juxtaposition of having the exhibit in a space that looks out over the river, Mm -hmm. I think is teaching the community that these really prehistoric looking fish um, are in the Grand River, right? And then they like, oh, they're threatened. There's not very many of them left. Well, why is that? And then they can start to think about why aren't there very many sturgeon left and what could I do to help? And so I do think it is making those connections and, and having that awareness out there um, for the general public. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, do you, anything you'd like to add, Corey? No, it's just uh, I don't know that much about sturgeon, but uh, my background <laughs> is paleontology. So coming here, I'm. it's been on my list to look into, like, what is the fossil record for the sturgeon? Because they have mm-hmm. very distinct uh, bony scoots, these, like, bony plates embedded in their skin. Mm-hmm. So I would guess... Uh, they'd be pretty distinct just based on that, being able to recognize that you at least have uh, a species or a taxa that belongs to the sturgeon family. Um, but I have no idea what the fossil record is, so it's been on my list to look up. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, it's really interesting. Really interesting. You know, working with our partners at Grand Valley, too, you know, historically, in, in recent history, when they've done different digs along the river, they find um, pits and they have lots of scoots in them, those, those bony plates from sturgeon. And so... That's where we learn a lot of our kind of history of Michigan mm-hmm. um, and use of the river. Wow, that is really amazing. And I, I guess I don't think people think of, of science being that entertaining, but it really is entertaining mm-hmm. to, to just hearing about it and learning about something that's totally different. Yeah, science is super cool, but I'm a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, Corey, what's been your favorite find so far at the Public Museum? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, probably the neatest one, and we actually, uh, it's on my desk to catalog, um, Cray, our volunteer who's helping us with our rocks and minerals collection, he has unpacked a couple boxes, and he found, uh, this, uh, medallion that's made out of lava that was printed by, um, see, I don't have all the details fresh in my mind, but it was 
printed by one of the founders of the Ward Science um, from Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of the mountain with the lava eruption, but I can't come up with it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But that's probably the most unique thing because when he brought it to me, and I was like, I have no idea what this is. Um, but it's this big, like, kind of disc medallion, and they basically took hot lava, and they, they basically created a stamp out of it, similar to, like, what you'd make a waffle. Mm-hmm. And they put some hot one, and they just stamped it, and then we have this thing. It's crazy. And that's what's really neat, about, at least about the science collection, is because... It has this long history. Um, you find a lot of like really wild, random stuff that you just wouldn't see if the collection was more recent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of our taxidermy specimens are back, you know, from the early 1900s, late 1800s, and it's really cool, um, you know. And um, potentially they can be sampled for DNA if a researcher wanted to come in because they're so old. Mm-hmm. Well, hmm. well, that's interesting. I mean, what would they do with the DNA after that? Um, well, you could do a different studies. You could look at how populations change. So if we have a specimen um, that's from, you know, let's say the Grand Rapids area, but that particular species is not known from this area anymore because it's a local extinction, but you find it other places, you can look at how uh, distribution of various populations have changed across the region and potentially try to get at when that population went extinct, at least locally, or, you know, disappeared. Stuff like that. There's a lot of different things you can do with DNA, mm-hmm. most of which I don't know anything about. But, mm-hmm. but well, but He's I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm really curious. I mean, having your collection being so much older, I mean, have you guys been, has anybody reached out to ask, well, I understand you have this, or is this part of that process of trying to find out what you have so you know what you could offer? Yeah, and I mean, we have a, because our, you know, the science collection is relatively small, it, it is surprising, the, I find it surprising, the kind of the variety and diversity that we have. Um, and I think it's because it is so much older. But, you know, you also have to put that in context with, you know, uh, University of Michigan or the Field Museum. I mean, those collections are huge. They're, mm-hmm. you know, more research-based. And so they will also have old collections. But ours is very much focused around kind of the Grand Rapids area, this kind of this region of West Michigan. So if you really wanted to study this region, it would be a potential stop to make. Mm-hmm. So, Ani, tell me if people wanted to learn more about some of the educational programs that you have to offer or things, I and mean, what's the best way to find out what's going on? best way to find out about the educational programs is at our website, grpm.org. Uh, slash schools and we have information there about guided education programs field trips or summer camps will be on the website in the winter getting ready for (laughs) spring and summer Um, we have a discovery kit loan program which is a pilot program this year to get artifacts out into the classroom Um, so lots of details on our website um, there now is that the the artifact loan program is that open to any of the schools in Kent County or is it always just a certain area or do you have a Yep, any of the schools, um, and we do have um, different types of kits that we're loaning out, and we're doing a, a few per week mm-hmm. sort of thing this year to try it out mm-hmm. see how it goes. Mm-hmm. So, And then the best place to find out about the collections is really through the database, grpmcollections.org, and if there's something that's of interest, making an appointment to come in and, and check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the great things about having the collection online, both in terms of accessibility for other researchers or the general public or students, whatever, the other great thing is um, you can't be an expert in everything, as I 
demonstrated here <laughs> painfully. <laughs> but what's great is we'll have uh, people from the general public or students look at images or stuff, obviously online, and we'll be like, oh, that's this. Like we've misidentified it or we haven't filled in all the information about it, mm -hmm. which is fantastic, right? We're always trying to improve our collection, both in terms of, you know, the quality of information, you know, the identification of an object or the description of that specimen, that object, and also, you know, how it's stored. So getting help from, you know, anybody is, is great, you know, because people are experts in the most random things. Well, and I would yeah. bet with all the work that you have to do, because you, I mean, you're walking in and you've got all this stuff here and you really don't know, you probably could use some help. I mean, some volunteers maybe? Or uh, we can always use help. Yeah. Um, yeah. We love to, volunteers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we have a yes. great volunteer coordinator, and she will be happy to sign you up. <laughs> and that is, who is the volunteer coordinator? Is Her that? name is Mo Fleming. Mo oh. Fleming. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but that would be the best way is to go through the, the museum mm -hmm. to see if you could volunteer to help out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In doing other things as well. Wow, this is incredible. So, well, let me ask you real quick, I mean, any parting thoughts or things that you'd like to leave people with to think about as they head over to the public museum and check it out? Well, one thing we do have to mention, and I have to mention this, sure. is that um, for Kent County residents, it's actually, due to a village, not that expensive to go. That's correct. Um, and I always like to point that out, because it's about $5? Yep, $5 for adults, and then children 17 and under are free general admission, and I then senior I passed that rate. line, line, by the way. I'm going to pay for the ticket now. Yeah, <laughs> so, but, but yeah. Um, yeah it's a great benefit we've been able to offer. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so I think my, for me, my parting thought is that uh, the museum is much more than some of the maybe traveling exhibits that we're bringing in and really promoting out there. It's much more deep and broad and we're offering a lot of different types of things to the community for people with different interests. Um, so you can, can check that out. And I just, one second for two, but you have like an exhibit which isn't really science related. It is because it does teach you some science. Sure. Toys that yeah. has just taken the museum by storm. I mean, people yeah. have just gone crazy they have really and you've extended that for another year we have and you have I just want to kind of make a plug out you've got a couple of really great exhibits coming in we do in the next um both with science focus yeah actually. both with science yeah. focus uh bodies revealed yes and the other one escapes me design zone so that design one is zone. all about math and creativity and the design process and it's very hands-on coming to us from the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry so that'll so. open in October yeah, those are a couple of really great exhibits. So, yeah. Stephanie, any parting thoughts? What, what would you like to, if people come to the museum, what would you like them to think about? Um, I think there's just always something new and different. You know, we, I think, change out our exhibits a lot more than we um, maybe historically have. We always have a new program coming, and there's something for everyone. So whether it's Concerts Under the Stars or... Um, a science Saturday or um, a gardening class. There's there's something at the museum for everybody. Mm -hmm. And the planetarium, you did mention that earlier. I mean, it is named after a local astronaut. It uh, is Roger B. So, Chaffee. Yep, Robert, Roger B. Chaffee. And also, you guys have you've grown you've done some of your own programs for there. So and uh, again, not totally science related, but the music programs there are always very successful and popular. If people yeah. have had a yeah. chance to check that out as well. Yeah, we have a new show opening up in September, Habitat Earth, which will come into our rotating schedule of shows as well. So very cool. So. And Corey, 
Uh, final parting thoughts. I, I don't know if I have any, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, we're just, we're always trying to improve not only the museum, but I mean, my focus is kind of the collection and curation, but we're always trying to improve the collection. So any, we're always looking for volunteers, people with different specialties, or just, I mean, just going online to our online database and looking through it. I mean, if you, you know, have, if you're a hobbyist of, I don't know, like, you know, buttons, we have a collection of buttons, you know, I'm sure we have lots that we have not identified that's just outside of our mm -hmm. expertise, or um, we have several volunteers that are, you know, big birders. So they have helped me on numerous occasions to be like, I think it's this or this. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so they'll chime in. It's always nice to have somebody with a little bit of expertise to bounce ideas off of to be like, okay, this is why I think it's this, or this is why I think it's this, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, we're always just looking for help. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you don't have to be specialized in anything. You just have to be willing to kind of have a passion for preserving for future generations and willing to lend a hand. I always wonder how difficult is it to find people in that specialty background. I mean, I think of buttons, and I, and I think like my mom, who's eighty-eight, um, she could probably tell you, you know, this is this type of button, and this is this type of button. I look at a button, I wouldn't know. You know, I think my generation probably wouldn't know. I mean, how hard is it to find those specialty backgrounds? It really depends on what it is, and you know, it's all about having the connections. You know, I mean, I'm the science curator. I know a little bit about a lot of things but I have a lot of colleagues that I know that I can go to and be like, okay, this is what I think this is. Mm -hmm. You know, am I on the right track or who would you recommend for me to contact to either identify this object or more importantly, we reach out a lot of times to people to help us to preserve it or, you know, to clean it. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of our old taxidermy. So I've been learning to clean uh, taxidermy because you want to you want to improve the shape, but you have to be careful with the methods you use so you don't cause any further damage, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. So. And I'm going to give a little plug out too. Corey has been nice enough. He's going to be part of our newscast and he's doing little shows about what's at the museum and how you guys clean and take care of those product, those items and what you're finding, mm -hmm. um, which has been really big success. And it will be starting in October, that, that little newscast um, portion. So we thank Corey for participating in that. Happy to do it. Sounds great. So, well, I'd like to thank you all for being here today. Uh, yeah. Kate Kaczynski. <laughs> just did it, didn't I, Kate? Oh, here you go. Don't worry. <laughs> Dr. Stephanie Ogren mm -hmm. and Dr. Corey Redman um, for being here with us today um, from the Grand Rapids Public Museum. And I hope when people go and check out the museum, they remember it's not just a pretty exhibit. Right. So there's just always so much more there. So I'm Joanne Bailey Borsma, and this has been Locally Entertaining. <laughs>